0: Welcome to the Faculty New Books podcast, covering the latest authors and publications from across the subject spectrum. I began this project wanting to describe the initial years um, of the Anglo-Japanese relationship in the modern era, and um, I was seeking to find uh, a hook to, to, to hang the study on, and I thought... In particular, in this this contemporary age where we're so concerned about racial difference um, and uh, encounters between different countries, I was puzzled at how it was in the era of the yellow peril, as it's referred to, um, that Britain and Japan could have in January 1902 come to sign an alliance. Um, an alliance is not a, an accidental engagement between two countries. The word ally is, is sometimes used very loosely. Um, an alliance is something where you are committed to certain obligations in regards to another country's security. This is not a light undertaking. If, ri- if race was so, such a dis- divisive factor in the era of the late 19th century, early 20th century, how come then that the British Empire was able to sign an alliance with Japan? And that's how this study um, came about. Britain in the 19th century was, if anything, the, the only world power of the period. Um, it had the world's largest empire, the world's largest navy. It's the center of commerce and finance. The Industrial Revolution had begun in Britain before any other country. Um, this is its, 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 its years of glory. Um, Japan's trajectory in the same period is very different. Um, Japan had been isolated from the rest of the world since about 1600 until um, the early 1850s, when the Americans forced it to open up. Um, Japan then goes through a period of, of turbulence in regard to its uh, domestic governance until 1868, when a new regime comes in. Um, But very quickly, that new regime is able to modernize Japan and to uh, increasingly attract the the interest of of Britain and of Britons in a number of different ways. Uh, And so what the book is about is trying to trace how that Uh, how Britain interpreted Japan's trajectory and came finally to to believe that it was possible to reach over the racial divide um, to sign an alliance. What I describe in the book is a period um, initially of British interest in Japan, that Japan in some ways was interesting for the Victorian imagination. Um, And then in this period when Japan began to um, modernize, there's a kind of beginning of a sort of more of a respect for Japan, respect for what it's achieving in terms of modernization. But in 1894, um, Japan is able to do two things. First of all, it's because of this period of respect It is able to persuade Britain that it is worth uh, getting rid of extraterritoriality. That is that from 1894, Britain is prepared to allow its nationals on Japanese soil to come under Japanese law. Um, This finally comes into fruition in 1899, but the decision to move in that direction is made in 1894. Then, Shortly after that treaty is signed, we find that uh, Japan um, decided to go to war with China. This is over the future of Korea. The world um, looked on this conflict and expected in the longer term to see a Chinese victory. But what emerged, in fact, was that Japan very quickly managed to um, defeat China within less than a year. And this is what I describe in the book as a period of not simply respect, but of admiration of Japan's achievements. Um, But it's one which is there's still a sense of ambivalence. Um, There's still a sense of ambivalence about, well, if Japan has defeated China, is that really such a great achievement? I mean, China is seen as being... um, a country that's falling backwards, perhaps on the verge of partition, does that mean that really Japan's achievement is not that great after all? But there again, if Japan's achievement is notable, is what Japan is becoming in East Asia, is this a kind of a, a potentially dangerous hybrid? Is this a country that is mixing... Uh, Asian cultural values which might in Europe be seen as, as barbaric um, and, and mixing those in with the secrets of European modernization to create something that is potentially quite dangerous, so the yellow peril personified. Um, and you get a sense in the 1890s that Britain, Britons don't quite know what Japan they're dealing with. Still a rather backward country one that's a potential danger, or one that is a potential partner in international politics. And the boxer crisis of 1900, in which um, the boxer movement in China turns on foreign nationals and besieges the foreign legations in Beijing, is the moment at which Japan reveals that it's not just worthy of admiration, it's worthy of trust. And the issue here is that Japan sends the largest contingent to join with an allied expeditionary force to put down the Boxer Rebellion, but it not only does that, um, it also uh, is, cooperates with the British. Its armed forces are seen as working at a highly efficient level, to the degree where cooperation between Britain and um, Japanese contingents works really well. And in a sense also, by intervening against China, Japan is disproving the yellow peril thesis. If the yellow peril thesis was was accurate, then Japan should be reluctant to turn against China, but it is willing here to join with uh, with the allied powers Um, and to cooperate um, and and to defeat the Boxer Rebellion. And my my argument is this is the the final moment in which the deal is sealed between the two countries. Um, Britain wants an alliance in order to deal with what it perceives as a Russian strategic threat in Northeast Asia. Japan has the same perspective. They have similar security concerns, but also, they're able to transcend this, this racial divide because a sense of trust has been inculcated by the way in which Japan operates. The alliance works um, because Japan is seen as a trustworthy partner. Um, the alliance very quickly has a challenge. Um, it's designed to deter war with Russia. Um, but. Russia refuses to be deterred. Um, And what happened was that in um, in 1903, the Russians insisted uh, that China sign um, a treaty with Russia that would give Russia um, some uh, commercial advantages in the area of Manchuria. This was considered to be unacceptable both to Britain and Japan, but Japan particularly who perceived that there could be a future threat to the security of Korea, which it, with, it, uh, with which it had a strong interest. So Japan decided in 1904, with the Russians refusing to engage sincerely in negotiations as far as they were concerned, to go to war. Um, during the war, Russia-Japanese War of 1904, 1905, Japan is able to seal a victory Um, But what's important here is that in 1905, it achieves a victory, but it doesn't then seek to become the paramount power in East Asia. Between 1906 and 1914, while there are some interests it defends um, in East Asia, it by and large cooperates with Britain and the other European powers. While some Asian nationalists seek uh, Japanese sponsorship of their revolutionary movements against European colonialism, the Japanese have a very much hands-off attitude towards this. They're far more concerned about gaining respect from the Europeans um, than they are from uh, trying to become the leader of Asia against Europe. Um, and so this sense of, of, of trust continues. Um, there is a sense in which Britain is very sensitive still to the racial divide between the two countries. And so it does its best, particularly through royal diplomacy, to try to demonstrate that it respects Japan, um, that it's willing to treat Japan as an equal partner. So up until 1914, though some problems exist in the background, Um, the alliance continues to work reasonably well. One of the things that, one of the reasons why Britain has to be sensitive um, to the racial issue is that it is aware within its own empire that the British dominions around the Pacific, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, are averse to Japanese immigration. Um, This is a knotty issue for Britain. Britain doesn't have, the right anymore to tell the dominions what to do. Um, But at the same time, it doesn't want this problem to create issues with Japan. And one of the reasons why it's possible for this alliance to continue is the way in which Japan handles this. Um, It handles it in a very responsible way. It doesn't try to make a meal of this issue. It says that it is aware of the sensitivity and thus offers the possibility of voluntary agreements, that Japan will voluntarily restrict the number of migrants going abroad. And Britain is quite happy with that approach. Um, It's an approach that works with Canada and with the United States. And Britain preaches to Australia, you know, why don't you follow follow suit. This is a model that works, that takes the sting out of this issue. Um, Essentially, Britain doesn't want race to corrode the alliance. The alliance has a strategic value um, and it doesn't want issues like immigration to erode it. Um, However, the First World War leads to a new kind of understanding of international politics emerging. We're moving from an age of imperialism to an age of self-determination, what Woodrow Wilson calls the new diplomacy. And there are questions there about whether the alliance is a sustainable relationship that can be continued into the future, or whether it needs to be changed and merged into a new international order. one that is compatible with the newly established League of Nations, and that in helps in 1921-22 to see the old alliance come to an end, but not in a way in which Britain um, suggests that it regrets the alliance, that it doesn't want anything else to do with Japan, because it sees Japan as retrograde in any way. It's very much that Britain sees the alliance as being merged into a new um, series of treaties created at the Washington Conference in 1921-22 that are designed to create a new uh, stable international order in East Asia which will benefit all of the interested parties. The one thing I want people to think about is that It is, we need to be careful about how we project current ideas on how society works into the past, Um, and to see our forebears as um, simplistic and reactionary figures. Um, Our forebears were sophisticated, educated people. There was an awareness within the Anglo-Japanese relationship of the damage that could be done by a world defined by race. And there were quite clear, overt attempts to try to to finesse that issue and to allow international cooperation um, to continue. So it's in a way, it's, it's designed as a word of warning not to be too simplistic about the way in which we interpret history.